0: This is Elder Peter Ristow welcoming you to our October sixteenth, two 2022 combined worship service with Veritas Church. The sermon this morning is given by Pastor Zach Ritz of Veritas entitled, Jesus and the Law from Matthew 5. Your love is steadfast. It's unending. It's amazing. And Father, we pray, uh, God, that now as we Turn to your word, Uh, Lord, we pray that you would add just your spirit to it and blessing to it as well. Lord, instruct us from it. Teach us what it is you would like for us to do. How might we leave from this place, imaging you, pleasing you, God, may our good works glorify our Father who is in heaven. We know that our good works don't save us, but God, we have been saved for good works to do, and God, we desire to do them. And we pray, God, this morning that your church would be edified, Lord, that your son would be glorified, and that the lost would come home. In Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Any nursery preschool kids can go downstairs. Go downstairs. Teachers are in the back, can help you there. Always welcome to stay. Couple uh quick announcements, okay. Uh Warranted Bible Fellowship, check those Monday minutes, all right? Uh, So you're aware of what those are if you don't know what Monday minutes are, but you would like to read them. Uh, Just fill out your information and email address and put it in uh, the offering box there in the back uh, of the sanctuary. And then Veritas Church, likewise, look for that church email. Go out usually Fridays, Thursday, Fridays. It depends, like, how late I get the sermon info out to Liz. Uh, So if you get one on Saturday, you know it was a tough week, okay? Um, But if you you don't receive those emails, but you would like an update about what we're doing at Veritas, you can likewise fill out a connect card downstairs. Leave your email address and uh, put that in the offering box, and then we'll, we'll send that out to you. Some of the big things just that are happening this week is for Veritas, we have community groups getting started up. Uh, so we'll have one that meets uh, after church service in Vint Hill. Uh, we also have one that will meet uh, down in like southern Falkier, Opal area uh, on Wednesday nights, and then another one in Vint Hill on Friday evenings. Uh, and so we invite all of Warrenton Bible Fellowship. If you'd like to attend some of those uh, throughout the week, we would love for you to come. Uh, men's ministry is kicking off this week, as well as women's ministry next week. Always invited, uh, and uh, likewise Taco Tuesday at the shelter. Right, looking for some uh, some people to serve. So not only for Warrenton Bible Fellowship, but even Veritas, if you would like to uh, help serve tacos on tuesday maybe get to eat a few i don't know is that against the rule no okay of course yeah uh, don't muzzle the ox while they're treading the field am i right yeah okay <clears throat> so we'll both serve tacos and then enjoy them to the glory of god at the shelter so uh, if anybody would like to help serve uh, just contact peter would you put your hand up peter's our guy okay and he'll help you find the tacos great Well, hey, I remember uh, in high school, man, I was taking, I don't know, Algebra 2, Trigonometry. I don't really remember which one it was, but I do remember that I didn't like it. I didn't even want to take Algebra 1, let alone Algebra 2. Okay, like math just never really came easy for me. So if you're one of those math people, like, ugh. But hey, but it just never came easy for me. I remember in high school, like, raised my hand and asked the teacher, When are we ever going to use this stuff like in real life? Did anyone ever ask that question? You know, she said, pipe down, you know, and do your homework. Um, I just didn't want to learn anything more than what I needed for basic survival, okay, in the real world. And little did I know we'd have smartphones, you know, so, man. uh Many feel like Leviticus, like when you're reading through the Bible, is like trigonometry, you know? Like you start getting into the weeds of the Old Testament, and some people say, you know what, let's just leave this for the Christian architects and engineers who like that sort of stuff. And we skip over it. Many, however, continue to go further, not only of a dislike, but actually begin to teach that Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection has done away with the law altogether many of whom will agree with pastors like Andy Stanley and argue that we should unhitch our Christianity from the Old Testament. Okay, that's being taught today. That's being taught in our town. I know of at least three churches that are teaching that specifically. Leave it. Unhitch it. Don't need it. Now, this may be what some modern evangelicals believe, but the question we have to ask is, is it true? Is that true? Should we unhitch our Christian faith and the New Testament from the Old Testament all together. Well, our text this morning is from Jesus, and he's going to give us uh, our answer. So that's great. From the Sermon on the Mountain, Matthew 5, verses 17 through 20. So if you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn there. If not, it'll be on the screen. Matthew 5, 17 through 20. From which we will look at the relationship between Jesus and the law. And then we'll look at the relationship between the church and and the law. And then we're going to conclude with at least three uses of the law, which I hope will be helpful for us as we go forth from here today. But first, Jesus and the law. What is his relationship to the law? Well, let's let him tell us. Matthew 5, verse 17, Jesus says in his sermon on the mount, "'Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets.'" I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Doesn't that seem like a silver bullet just right there from Jesus' lips? Jesus didn't say, I have come to abolish them, but just only after I fulfill them. That's not what he says. He doesn't say, I'm going to fulfill them, and when I do, they are abolished. That's not how he puts it. What he does is he contrasts the two ideas. He says, I've not come to abolish them. But instead, I have come to fulfill them. Abolishing is not in the equation. That's a math joke. <laughs> Just wasn't a very good one. Okay. <laughs> However, many still teach, okay, that Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection has indeed abolished or done away with the Old Testament law altogether. However, they usually conflate uh, the law especially the Mosaic law, right into uh, just one idea or one thing. But instead, there are actually three categories of law. So as you're reading through the Old Testament, if you try to read through the Bible in a year, you're going to see different laws relating to different things. There are three different categories that are helpful. One is the ceremonial law. The second is the judicial law. And the third would be the moral law of God. Okay, so the first, the ceremonial law. It's very much so regarding worship and sacrifice. This is everything to do with the, the tabernacle, everything to do with the altar and, and offering sacrifices on the altar, right? It's very specific about how you cut up the animal. You know, got to get the barbecue just right, all right? Uh, so you, you, how you cut it up, how, if it's to be burnt up, if you're allowed to eat it, right? Like everything, even what animal you're supposed to offer. So the ceremonial law describes all these different laws as it relates to worshiping God in the Old Testament, with the sacrificial system. It also includes things such as the cleanliness laws, what you can eat, what you can't eat, what you can wear, what you cannot wear, right? Uh, Because something might make you unclean. That doesn't mean you're you're a sinner. You know, it, it just means you're unclean. You can't come into worship. So you would, you know, if you had leprosy even, like you were considered unclean, and you'd have to be removed from worship. You couldn't come to worship because you were sick. All right, so... With the ceremonial law, what has Jesus done to fulfill that? Well, Jesus has come, and he has made the unclean clean. He has made the unholy set apart and holy unto God for his use, for his service. And and now our spiritual act of worship is to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice, because Jesus is the once and for all sacrifice. Jesus is our great high priest. Jesus is the one uh, who, who now advocates to us before the Father as our great high priest, who has offered uh, himself the spotless uh, lamb, right? And by the shedding of his blood, we have forgiveness of sins. Now, if we were to just say, okay, that's it. Let's do away with the ceremonial law and never talk about it ever again. Well, then how, if you only had your New Testament, would you even understand that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world? Why would Jesus even need to die? Why is it that without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins? There's no way to truly understand the sacrifice of Jesus, the gospel, without the Old Testament law. And the book of Hebrews explains that to us. But the second is the judicial law. Judicial law is different. Judicial law is about the, the nation is Israel, right? Which uh, we all have judicial law, right? Governing Warrington, governing the United States. This is if you break one of these laws, you're going to appear before a judge, right? Like this is judicial law. There are things that you can and cannot do. What happens if you do steal something from someone else, right? How, how do you make restitution for that? So then all you'll see within the the law, some judicial laws, okay? Now, of course, Jesus abides by and obeys the judicial law of God, and really every nation should model uh, their judicial law off of God's law, right? And we see that even when we go into the courts, or even if you went to the Supreme Court, you're going to see Moses there in the Ten Commandments. Then the third is the moral law, okay, the moral law. The moral law, uh, Jesus, yeah, he fulfills the ceremonial law, he obeys the judicial law, he really embodies the moral law. He shows us that the law is really not just uh, the letter of the law, but also the very heart of God. Right, he kind of teaches us why, the why of the law even. Only the what, of course, but also the why, the character and nature of God. Why are we not to murder one another? Not only is it wrong, but you would be killing someone who is bearing God's image. That's why you can't even slander them. That's why you can't even gossip about them. See what I mean? Because you're doing something uh, harmful and negative to someone who's bearing the image of Almighty God. There's a greater heart within the law, and James really picks up on that within his epistle. So we have at least three, okay, the ceremonial law describing the worship and sacrifices, the judicial law, you know, kind of governing all of Israel, and then the moral law, where really a lot of the Ten Commandments and, and others are teaching us how to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, strength, and to love our neighbor as ourself. All of the law could be summed up in those two commandments, says Jesus. The New Testament, I want us to get this, the New Testament is not something new as in completely separated and unrelated to all this it's new as in it is greater and it is better than ever before now if you think about it this way anybody like old sports cars right? Okay. What would happen, right? If you said, okay, this sports car is good, but there's another engine that came out that was better. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to put this bigger, better, stronger engine into this old sports car. I'm going to swap them out, right? That way, this old one that I kind of like the body and design of better now can go faster, have more torque, right? And rip right. Like, okay, y'all, I don't want to get too much into it, but you might put a bigger, better engine in an old vintage sports car, so that it has more power than it ever had before. I know some of you are like, I'm not really a sports guy, but I mean, I don't know, maybe it's a rifle. You put new optics and a new trigger on it. I don't know, you can see more clearly now. Same gun, new optics, new trigger. Okay, maybe it's a renovation job, okay, a kitchen. How many people would like to renovate their kitchen? Anyone? Okay, and what if it was free, anyone? No, okay. Free renovation on your kitchen. What would you want to do? How, would you want more space, more cabinet space? What would you like, right? How would you maintain, though, even the, the charm of an old farmhouse if you were renovating your kitchen? Still the same kitchen, still the same integrity uh, of, of what was built. But how do you make it bigger and better? Yes, it's new, but it's not new as in something totally different, totally other, No, you see, and the newness of the New Testament is not separate from the old, but it's a continuation, and it's a greater fulfillment of the old. It's not a brand new car, a brand new gun, or a brand new home. All of the Old Testament saints will live together with us, the New Testament saints, for all eternity in the Father's house. Because both Jew and Gentile all deserve to be cursed and cut off from God according to His law. According to his law, all of us deserve to be cut off from the covenant promises of God. All of us deserve the curses of the Old Testament covenant. All of us deserve damnation and death according to his law, both Jew and Gentile alike. But Jesus, but Jesus was cursed and cut off on our behalf. Jesus went outside of the camp. Jesus became a curse for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus did not come to sell the car. Jesus did not come to trade in the gun or demolish the house. He came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. The New Testament is not something new, as in separate or unrelated to the old. It's new, as in it is greater, and it is better than ever before. Jesus and his church are a fulfillment of the Old Testament. Jesus will accomplish everything promised in the Old Testament. He says so in the very next verse. Matthew 5, 18 says, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, that basically is like a Hebrew way of saying, you know, dot your I, cross your T, right? Not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until what? all is accomplished the law will not pass away until heaven and earth pass away did heaven and earth pass away when jesus died on the cross did heaven and earth pass away when he was raised again from the dead is heaven and earth pass away right now no therefore there was more accomplishing work that needed to be done that's why there's a book of acts and it didn't just all end after his resurrection and ascension. There was more. More to be fulfilled. More to be accomplished. That's the rest of the New Testament. Jesus is fulfilling the Old Testament, bringing all nations to himself through his spirit-filled church. Every, uh, even today, heaven and earth have not passed away. Not everything has been, therefore, accomplished because it's all not said and done yet. So instead, we need to ask two questions. One, how has Jesus fulfilled the law? And two, how does Jesus want to fulfill his plan of redemption through us? What does he want us to do? Now you can find a sermon that I preach in Matthew 2.15 where I explain that Matthew teaches us how to read the Old Testament in order to see how Jesus fulfills it when we read that Old Testament, we need to ask the first question, how does Jesus fulfill this? How does this apply to Jesus? Before we ask the question, how does this apply to us? First and foremost, how does this apply to Jesus? And the answer is given to us in the Gospels, by the apostles, and also in the book of Hebrews. If you want to understand how the Old Testament works, you got to read the book of Hebrews. The next question, after we ask how how is it fulfilled in Jesus... Next question is, how is Jesus fulfilling the Old Testament after his death, burial, and resurrection? What is he wanting to do? What's going on after he's already now ascended to the right hand of the Father? Shouldn't he just come back right away? Like, what's he doing up there, right? Like, what's what's going on? And what are we supposed to be doing down here? The answer is found in the book of Acts and throughout all the epistles. And also, if you study church history, you can see the hand of God through redemption, even all throughout church history. And we can even ask, what is Jesus going to do in in all of his fulfillment in the future? These Old Testament promises. This is our eschatology as we look to things in the future. We should even consider not only the book of Revelation, but also just consider the whole book of the New Testament. Why? Why all the New Testament? Because that was eschatology, future things, For those who wrote about them in the Old Testament. Am I right? To them, those were the end days. Those were the last times. Jesus, the Messiah, will come in those days. In those latter days. Now it's our job, especially my job as a teacher of the Word of God, to learn how the law was fulfilled by Jesus and what of the law must I obey and teach you to do as well. What commandments are both for Old Testament people of God and for New Testament people of God until heaven and earth pass away? That's where we get to the relationship of the church and the law. Jesus goes on in Matthew 5, look with me in verse 4 and 19, talking about the relationship with the church, his disciples and the law. Jesus says, Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same, relax them, don't worry about them, will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them, does them and teaches them, not teaching only, but practicing what you're preaching, whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus now is talking about commandments. These are not just only messianic prophecies that he's fulfilling in the verses before. Right, I've come to fulfill them. We say, yeah, of course, like ride on a colt of a donkey and other things, right? Yes, but not only those, but others also. The commandments of God. What God requires of us. And he says, not only am I going to do them, but I want you to do them. Not only am I going to obey God, I want you to obey God. And I want you to teach others to obey God. Right? And he says, and I, I'm not going to relax them for me, and I don't want you to relax them for you, and I don't want you to teach others to relax them either he's going to obey the commandments of god and he expects his disciples to do the same matter of fact after this and next week we're going to look at how he starts teaching from the 10 commandments and showing us the heart of the law thou shalt not murder thou shalt not commit adultery those are what come in your bible right after this so not only does jesus want his disciples to obey the moral law of god he wants them to teach others to do so as well And if they don't, he says, they'll be considered least in the kingdom of God. Interesting that they still be in the kingdom of God, but just would be considered least. Many churches today do preach enough of the gospel to get people in. They they preach enough of the law to call you a sinner and therefore in need of salvation. But then, that's it. That's enough. Just enough to get you in, but not really much to grow you. They're a mile wide, but only an inch deep. Jesus doesn't want us to become a bunch of legalistic Pharisees, on the other hand, who follow the letter of the law to the T, but whose hearts are absolutely wicked and have neither the love of God nor the love of neighbor. They're more worried about getting it right, and they could care less about people. The Pharisees uh, may have an outward appearance of godliness, but Jesus says that they are, do you remember what Jesus says about the Pharisees? That they are whitewashed tombs full of dead man's bones, and only love themselves. He actually says then in verse 20, this is our last verse in this passage, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Your righteousness needs to exceed that of the Pharisees. Is he referring, therefore, to our righteousness and our po- like, positional righteousness in Christ or our practical, like, day-to-day righteousness? Now, I would say yes. <laughs> right? Anybody else? Yes? Yes. Yes. Now, your positional righteousness is to say that, you know, Jesus has fulfilled all righteousness on your behalf and then now you, in Christ, have his righteousness. Right? He became sin for us. It's not by our good works that we are saved. He has done them all. And we, therefore, in Jesus, our position in Jesus is that we have his righteousness. That's the righteousness you want at the pearly gates, okay? Not your own, but his. Practical righteousness is really just an outworking of your positional righteousness, is to go forth and do good works. Is your day-to-day practical living, living out that righteousness, the one should produce, must produce the other. Those whom Christ is saved by grace, made positionally righteous in him, will be filled by the Holy Spirit and begin to hunger and thirst for practical righteousness. We just need to remember why we shine our light, why we cannot remain silent, why we seek to transform the world, why we hunger and thirst for righteousness in our lives and in the world. It's for Jesus' sake and for the Father's glory not for us, but for him, Matthew five sixteen. in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works, not just your positional righteousness, but that they can see your good works, your practical righteousness, and give glory to the Father who's in heaven. It's not pharisaical to obey the commandments of God, nor is it legalistic to call others to do the same, lest we call Jesus a legalistic Pharisee. We throw those words around too easily in our day. Don't be legalistic. Don't be such a Pharisee. Well, I'm not trying to be a Pharisee. I don't want to be too legalistic. Jesus here says, no, your righteousness needs to exceed that of the Pharisees. Not be lesser, but more than. Therefore, if you're being a Pharisee, you're not being righteous enough. Perhaps we have a different idea of what a Pharisee is. And I think Jesus will explain to us just who they are in the rest of his sermon but again he says do not relax any of these commandments instead teach the greater idea of them not just the don't just teach the commandments of god as like we just need to do this do that like to the letter to the t but teach the heart and spirit teach not only the what but teach the why but again even once we learn the why we still need to do the what (laughs) Uh, kids help me out here i got a little illustration if um if if your parents were to ask you kids Go clean your room. Has your mom or dad ever told you, kids, go clean your room? Did you ever hear that commandment before? Yeah. Kids, go clean your room, right? Have you ever gone to clean your room? I've done this before too, okay? Uh, Have you ever gone to clean your room and then once you're like in the whole mess of it, right? Because it can get pretty messy. Uh, But once you get like in the whole mess of it, you start looking and then you find things like in your closet. Especially in the closet. I don't know why the closet gets so messy. But we start searching through and we're like, oh my gosh, I haven't seen this for like a year. It's like a toy or something really cool, right? Or maybe it's a book or a magazine. You're like, wow. And you start reading and playing and they're like, there's another one. And there's the other one. I wonder if I can find the other one. You know, like there was four in this set. And then before you know it, you're there playing with the toys or reading the book or magazine. And it's been an hour. And mom and dad come back what are you doing oh gosh right like what happens when you got distracted and then mom and dad come back in the room well usually what you say is oh i'm sorry i got distracted and mom and dad say i forgive you right i forgive you apology accepted i understand i've been there before too right then what would you do next after the apology's been given forgiveness right I don't love you anymore if you messy or clean. I still love you. You are my child no matter what. And I love you. Amen. What should you do next, kids, after that? Yeah. Clean up your room. Get back to doing the works that your your father told you to do in the first place. I think that's basically what we've done. And We talk about forgiveness, and we talk about grace, and we talk about our identity as a child, but we need to get back to doing what the Father command, so that the world might see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. Three uses of the law that I'd like us to have before we leave. Three uses. Three uses of the law. The first, and we've kind of talked about this one a little bit, is the law is a tutor that leads us to Christ. Okay? The law is a tutor that leads us to Christ. The law exposes our sin. When you start reading, even we just did the Ten Commandments, right? That's all the more we need. And we would say, I am a sinner, right? I covet things that are not mine. You know, I've I've lied. I've I've stolen. I've, I've done things that I ought not to have do. I've lusted in my heart. I've had hatred as well, right? So the law is a tutor that leads us to Christ. We wouldn't even know what sin was Without the law. And that's what Paul says in Romans 7 7. So I encourage you guys, you can take a picture of that with your phone or write these down. But the law exposes our sin and then it can't save us. The law can't save us, it just tells us that we need saving. So the law is the tutor that then leads us to Christ, the one who can and does save us. Second, the law is a restrainer of evil, a restrainer of evil. For unregenerate man, before I was a Christian myself, the only thing restraining my evil was my mom, who I was afraid of getting up. Okay, so there was a there was a law. Okay, and, I, and and that was restraining my evil. Okay, and then even as I became an adult, the only thing restraining my evil were the. Ju- Show laws of the land. We need good laws. And we need those who make good laws to make them in accordance with God's word so that they are indeed good. Because Romans 13, and you can look that one up too. Romans 13 says uh, the, the, the government or even the, the civil magistrates are a gift from God to punish the evildoer and to reward the good. Someone breaks into your house does harm to your family, and steals all of your things, the civil magistrate needs to come in and needs to get that right. Which one needs to be punished? Which one needs to be rewarded? See what I mean? Right. These need to be righteous laws. So the law, law is good. Law is a grace to us. Isn't it? So the law that leads us to Christ, exposes our sin, leads us to the Savior, cannot save us. The law is also a restrainer of evil. Good households need to have good laws, and so does Warrington, and so does the United States. Thirdly, the law reveals to us what is pleasing to God. After we have been saved by grace, after we've been forgiven and become His children, His disciples, that third use of the law is to know, what is pleasing to my Father? How can I live for Jesus, I don't want to live a life anymore in rebellion against Him. I don't want to not love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I don't want to not love my neighbor as myself. Right? Like, like what? How do I love? What does God say is pleasing to Him? Again, we're not saved by good works. Ephesians 2.10 tells us, though, that we are saved to them. That is the fruit of our salvation. What does god want us to do what does he say is good and pleasing in his sight i believe that what we need to do is work to preach the righteous law and good news of the gospel hand in hand so that we can see man saved from their sin and transformed by the gospel but we also need to pray for our civil magistrates and our lawmakers and our law enforcers that they be righteous and in accord with God's law and spirit, so as to restrain evil even in our day. Let us also, though, diligently search the word of God and grow in our understanding of what he requires for us to do so that our lives are well-pleasing to him who loved us and gave himself for us. Let us pray. Father God, we, we thank you for your good law indeed it is good we thank you Lord for all the ways it exposes our sin God we thank you that you have made a remedy for that God in your son Jesus we thank you God for his perfect righteousness and not our own to stand before you this morning and for all eternity but God you still have work for us to accomplish here in this world And so, God, may your righteousness and your law that you require be a delight to us. May we hide your law in our hearts that we might not sin against you. And, God, may we go forth and may we, uh, Lord, even have the governance of our homes to be righteous and glorifying to you. May law and gospel be ever on our lips and in our lives, in our homes, and in our communities. In Jesus' name, amen. As you go, go with this benediction from Ephesians 3, verse 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. You are sent. Even when I don't see it you working. even when I don't feel it you working.